I just decided that the reason I came here this weekend was to hear those guys sing. Man, that was impressive. Have, have eight rooms ever filled, eight rooms, have eight voices ever filled a room so well? That was very, I was incredibly blessed by that. Um, y'all could have just kept singing all the way up until noon, and, um, and then we could have had lunch, and, and I'd have been delighted. <clears throat> A very, very long time ago, see, I'm not trying to tell my age anymore, I went to Bible school. Um, I went to Maranatha Bible School, and the second year that I attended Maranatha, I attended there for six weeks for two terms, and on the second term, the choir director asked me to have a speaking part in, in, the, in the program. And it was, they were going to, we were singing this song, and they were going to hum a verse of the song. And while they hummed, I was supposed to speak a part, right? So at Maranatha, like one of the things that, that, that one of the rules there is that you memorize all your music, all of it. You memorize it all. Those of you that went to Heritage, uh, you don't have to memorize all your music. You, I guess you're lucky, so, or whatever. But we had to memorize it all. So not only did I have to memorize all my music, but I also had to memorize this piece that I was supposed to say. And it was, it was, a, it was, it was the, one of the writings of Francis of Assisi. So I worked really hard to memorize it. And I had it down pretty good. Thought that, you know, that I could use my you know, deep bass voice, not as deep as these guys up here a moment ago, but, you know, relatively speaking, deep bass voice, and that I could, you know, I could say this thing and, and I could just, you know, really just send it out there. About two days before the program, it was two days, it was Wednesday, program was Friday, so Wednesday evening, we had a little, little get-together, we had like a hymn sing in the halls of Maranatha, and the halls are long, and you can make a lot of noise in there, sounds really good. So we had a hymn sing, and I was sitting there with everybody else, and, and they, someone decided to, to, we should sing that song, right? Just sing the song. This wasn't the program. So as we're singing the song, we're coming along, I'm thinking in my head, should I say my part? We're just singing the song. We could hum the part. You know, should I say it? I kind of want to say it, but should I say it? I don't know. Eh, eh, you know. So it's coming along, and I'm thinking, should I? Should I not? Should I? Should I not? Really kind of want to, but, you know, should I? time came, we get to the end of the verse, and someone taps me on the shoulder, and I'm like, oh, there we go. All right, they're, they're ready for me. So I, I rolled into it. I mean, I gave it my best shot, and I just rolled, just clean through it. All the words perfectly. It was, it was wonderful. My, my best performance. <laughs> when I got done, I got another tap on the shoulder, and I turned around, and it was the dean, and he said, hey, you've got a phone call waiting for you. <laughs> Today, for this session, I'd like to talk about the subject of humility. And I'm going to compare it to the subject, of course, of pride. You see, I was kind of, I was kind of full of myself. I thought that I had it going on, that I could somehow make some huge impact by these simple words that were coming out of my mouth, and that not only could I make a huge impact you know, later on, but that I could do it again this Wednesday evening. You know, and someone tapped me on the shoulder. Surely that means that they want me to say my amazing part, right? Yeah, no, that wasn't the case at all. 
Now, no one stopped me from saying the part. I still said it. But um, afterwards, I kind of felt uh, a little put in my place. And no one said, you know, hey, you shouldn't have said it. But I was sitting there thinking all this time that someone had tapped me on the shoulder to give me the go-ahead to do this great thing. Saying a simple little piece. I know it doesn't sound like a great thing, but we'll get to that a little more later because this story's not done yet, but I like interrupting stories in the middle to let y'all stew on it for a while. So turn with me to the book of James chapter 1. I'm sorry, James chapter 4. James chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 1, and we're going to read six verses here, 1 through 6. James starts off here by saying, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do ye think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. I want to transition you now from this, the, the earlier talk about appetites into a talk of humility. And I feel like this passage does it. It starts off by saying, where do wars and fightings come from? They come because we want to be selfish. We want to fill our appetites, right? I'm not talking about appetites anymore, but you can think back, right? We can connect these. Surely it hasn't been that long ago. So they come from us wanting to fill these appetites, but then it goes on to say that it defines kind of the reason for us wanting to fill these appetites is because we build up within ourselves pride. And it finishes, it, kind of the culmination there in the end in verse 6 says, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Now, notice there that it says, God giveth grace to the humble, but I don't want you to think that by humility you can earn grace, because you can't. Being humble does not earn you grace. It only puts you in a position to receive grace. Okay? So nothing you can do to earn God's favor or to earn grace. But being humble puts you in a position to receive grace. Being proud puts you in a position where you cannot receive grace. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Okay? So this morning, though, in my talk, I'm going to give you a bit of a history lesson. By raise of hand, who all of you recognize this person, think you know who this person is? Raise your hand if you think you know who this person is. Not many people. Yikes. I was expecting a lot of people to raise their hands. Does anyone want to take a guess who this person is? Thank you. Look at that. The schoolboy in the back knew who Thomas Edison was. Y'all, there are a lot of you that are still in school. Come on, people. All right. Okay, fine. So you don't know who Thomas Edison is. Uh, what did Thomas Edison do? Can anyone tell me? Surely you know what the guy did. Hey, man, look at this. I'm, I'm impressed by the school student. All right, he did. He invented, and not just the light bulb, but the DC light bulb. 
We need to go to his class. That's impressive. All right, so he invented the DC light bulb. All right, DC. Y'all know what DC stands for? Who all, who all knows what DC stands for off the top of your head? Okay, some of you. Guys, mostly guys, raise their hands. Guys, what does DC stand for? Direct current. Okay, we'll talk about the difference in a little bit. All right, okay. So now I'm expecting probably one young man in the back to raise his hand, but probably no one else. Who all recognizes who this man is? Hey, hey, hey. Tesla, thank you. You want to tell me what Tesla did? Hey, 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 man. Wow, we got a winner on our hands. This, guy, this guy's going places. All right. His name is Nikola Tesla. And this morning, I would like to talk to you. Now, let me, let me ask you this. By just name recognition, how many of you recognize the name Thomas Edison and could have told me more or less at least some of the things that he did, right? Most people know of Edison as the one that invented the light bulb, right? How many of you really know about Nikola Tesla and what he did? Right? Not many. Okay, I've got a couple people that raised their hands. Obviously, the young man in the back is one of them. In fact, I'm thinking maybe I should have him come forward and tell you this story. But, but to spare him the trouble of standing in front of all of you, I guess I'll continue. All right, so I, today I want to use the stories of Thomas Edison and Nikola Tesla to represent the difference between pride and humility. And today, our, our person up for pride is going to be Thomas Edison, okay? This is not a smear campaign against Thomas Edison. Everything that I tell you this morning is 100% factual and true, and you can find it if you want to go look for it. Everything that I tell you about Nikola Tesla will represent humility, and it's also true. But I want to start off by saying that neither of these men were professing Christians. So I'm not giving either of these men as Christian examples. I'm using them as worldly examples to represent the difference between pride and humility. Everybody on board? Yeah, good. All right. Okay, so Thomas Edison is known for having invented the, the light bulb, but not just the light bulb, as our young man said in the back, the DC light bulb. It's impressive because there was actually light before Thomas Edison. There was, there was an AC bulb that was called the, the arc bulb, not the incandescent bulb. All right. So Thomas Edison comes along. Technically, he did kind of invent the light bulb. All right, I'm going to kind of softball my way into this one. More or less what he did is he actually took the ideas of 22 other men that came before him and, and he paved them into something that allowed him and his team to invent the light bulb. Thomas Edison is not known in history so much because he invented the light bulb. He's known in history and is written in history because he was a marketing genius that figured out a way to sell the light bulb. What Thomas Edison wanted to do was sell the light bulb to the common household. By the time that Thomas Edison came along, there were already street lights, arc lights that were using AC current, arc lights that were in villages and stuff, right? But Edison wanted to put the bulb in your house, and he was a marketing genius, and because he was a marketing genius, he was able to, to get people fascinated by this idea of light in their house where they could push a switch and it would come on, and so, and so he did that using a DC light bulb. So, Nikola Tesla, as was already discussed, was the inventor of, really, of the idea of mass usage of alternating current. As I already said, AC was already around when, when um, Thomas Edison brought DC to the forefront, brought his bulb to the forefront, but AC was not used in the masses, and I'll, I'll describe why in a bit, but that was Nikola Tesla. So, Tesla, we often consider him as the inventor of alternating current. Uh, 
Tesla was a quiet man that just loved the idea of creating and of inventing. And we'll go into that in a lot. And today, of course, he is, we're going to use his life to exemplify humility. So let me start off by first describing to you, so that there's no confused looks as we talk along, the difference on a, on a very brief level between DC and AC. DC stands for direct current, and direct current is, is, comes from its current source, its generator, right? And it, it's a, it is a direct voltage, right? So if, if you have 12 volt DC, it's 12 volts and even 12 volts of current that comes all the time. Your phones, when you plug your phones in, probably most of you have phones by now, when you plug your phones in, you're plugging it in to DC current. You've got a little DC converter that sits on the wall. Sometimes we call those wall warts, right? It plugs into the wall, it sits there, and that thing changes the alternating current that's in your wall to DC so it can charge your phone with nice, even current, 12 volts of even current. Alternating current is if you have 12 volts of alternating current, which often we use a lot more than 12 volts, but if you had 12 volts, alternating current uses a motor to generate its, its power, right? And so the turn of the motor, because of the turn of the motor, you get an alternation in positive and negative, which means that instead of giving out an even 12 volts positive current, it goes out 12 volts positive, then 12 volts negative, then 12 volts positive, then 12 volts negative. And so as you look at alternating current, it looks like this wave going up and down, where zero is the middle line, and it goes up to this point. So 120 volts, which is what you have in your house, it gives you up and then down, which is why if you've ever been shocked by 120 volts, it's kind of a different feel than if you get shocked by DC. DC gives you a straight and steady shock. Alternating current kind of gives you a fascinating jolt. So don't stick a fork in a socket to find out, please, okay? <laughs> Let's not have any experimenting here. So, so now that we all understand the very, very basic difference between alternating current and direct current, I would like to take you back to the late 1800s for your history lesson today. We're going to go back to the 1870s. So the Civil War was, was over in the United States, and, and things were starting to move forward. And there was this young man that was, that was born over in Europe. His name was Nikola Tesla. And Nikola Tesla, from a very young age, um, was, was very fascinated in the way that things worked. And he proved himself to be a very brilliant young man. He went to college, and he was just, just the, the top of his class and just had brilliant ideas, was just really able to picture something, and he would picture a full thing in his head. He would fully map it out in his head without writing anything down, and then when he would write it down, it would like all be perfect. That's the way that he invented, was just by writing things down. Edison, when he invented, he just experimented. You know, remember, he did like 10,000 different things, and they different attempts of the light bulb, and they said, they asked Edison, they said, well, you know, don't you get discouraged? He said, no, I know now 10,000 things that won't work. Right? That was his response, right? Tesla would have never done that. He, he would have thought about it until he figured out one that would, and then he would test it. And that's not to say that it would always work the first time, but if it didn't, he would know why, and then he would move on to something that did, right? So Tesla, when he got out of college, he was in Europe, and he started working for a company in Europe called the Edison Company. It was Thomas Edison's company that it spread to Europe. Because by this point, Edison was already pushing the idea of his incandescent light bulb being in your home. The only problem with DC and Edison's DC light bulb is that DC had no way of, the, the voltage usage had no way of being elevated and, and dropped down. So you couldn't send out, for instance, you couldn't send 500 volts to a house and then at the house tune that 500 volts down to three. 
There was no way to do that. There was nothing that had been built that did that. So it meant that if you wanted to give 20 volts to a house, your source had to start off with 20 volts. And because, because high currency travels further, it meant that to have DC in the house, you had to have a generator within one mile of your house. Could you imagine now if to have power in your house, you had to have some type of generator. I'm not talking about like a generator where you go out and hand crank the thing. I'm talking about their style of generator was this huge, massive building, you know, that burned coal and had big smokestacks and stuff within one mile of your house, everyone. Obviously, as you can see, this is a problem. Cities weren't so much of an issue because there were a lot of houses within a one mile radius, but the country folk, they just weren't going to get power, you know? So, Nikola Tesla in Europe goes to Paris and starts working for the Edison Company. And what the Edison Company would do is they would talk to a city and they would get them all riled up about all oh, this, this is the wonderful things power can do for you. Because remember, I said Edison was a great marketing person, right? He can market his idea. So he'd get them all fascinated by this and then they would go out and they'd build this generator and they'd turn the lights on. They'd have this magic day where they turn the lights on and everybody got their lights. Everybody, of course, that were paying for the service, you know, it doesn't come free. So Strasbourg, Germany, got on board and decided, you know what, this is, this is a fascinating idea. Let's light Strasbourg up. So out at the train station was where, was where they, had, they were going to have this display. The first display of the lights was going to be there when they turned it on. So they got a generator at Strasbourg. And they put this display of lights there, and they had all their equipment there at the train station. And the day came to turn it on, and they flipped the switch, and boom, the whole wall of the train station blew off. Just blew it clean off the side. Now, this was a problem. So in, in Europe, they decided, of course, they shut the power off. And in Europe, they said, okay, we need someone that can fix this problem. Who will we send? They send Nikola Tesla, because he's their brightest young mind. Now, at this point, Edison does not even realize that Tesla exists, okay? He's working for Edison's company, but Edison's company is massive. And of course, Edison's company is primarily in the United States. This is just a European outreach. So Tesla goes out there, and he's promised that this, or, or he's given the idea, at least, that a good job, good work here, will get you good money. You know, you'll get a bonus for this. So he figures out the Strasbourg problem, and he fixes it and he doesn't get any kind of bonus or any kind of bump. And so it's like, nope, nope, I'm done. So he quits. And, and as, he's, as he's doing this work, though, in his mind, he believes that AC, that alternating current, is really what needs to work. And for AC to work, it needs to have a way to be spread to the masses. It needs to be able to go out for miles and then be tuned down. And so he begins to, in his mind, build what we now know as the transformer. In fact, if you look out on a pole, there are transformers on the top of the pole, you know those round things that sit up there? Those are transformers, and they still work very much the exact same way that Tesla originally created them. So you drive by Tesla's creation all the time, and we'll talk more about this in a little bit, because there's other things that, that Tesla's responsible for as well. It's a shame y'all don't know his name. Shame. So it's fascinating that most of us know the name Tesla by the car, which also, for what it's worth, the Tesla car was named in honor of Nikola Tesla. Okay? So putting that out there. All right, so, so he begins in his mind to create this transformer. 
and, and he builds it in his mind, and then and he's finally able to build, to actually build like a model of this thing, and sure enough, it works. You can take high voltages and send them out, and then inside the house, you can lower the voltage and bring it inside the house. It only works for alternating current. It doesn't work for direct current. It only works for alternating current, but it's, it's a great idea. And because of this, then, the idea of alternating current means that you could have a generator, and you could send power for miles on end. And then you could just transform it down and shoot it into the house. Revolutionize. It would completely revolutionize the way that people viewed power. So Nikola Tesla moves to America. And in America, Edison hears about him, about how great this young man is. In fact, he went to Edison to try to pitch him on the idea of alternating current. He's like, Edison, listen, listen, here's the things that you could do with alternating current. And, and Edison's like, um, nah, man. I really got a lot of stuff right now that I've got dumped in this direct current bucket. I'm going to stick with direct current. You know, this is, this is what I do. But would you work with me? Like, I've got a problem with the way my, my direct current motors work and the way they handle power. If you would work for me, I'll give you, like, if you could fix this problem, I'll give you a $50,000 bonus. Now, $50,000 in the late 1800s is like someone offering you a million-dollar bonus now, like a million bucks. So he, he said, I'll give you the equivalent of a million dollars if you can fix this problem for me. So Tesla was very interested in that idea. He really didn't like the long-term idea of direct current, but he needed a job, and no one believed in him at this point. No one believed in the, the reality of alternating current. So he goes to work for Edison, and he fixes the problem because he's a brilliant young man. He fixes the problem. And then when he asks for the bonus, when he looks for the bonus, Edison just chuckles and says, obviously, you don't understand American humor. And he didn't get his bonus. He was offered a 10 cent an hour raise. And instead decided that he would stop working for the Edison company. So he quit. Now. This became a bit of a problem because now he didn't have a job and he didn't have anyone that believed in him. But he kept pushing this idea of alternating current. And as he, as he continued to push this idea, he came in contact with a man named Westinghouse. Um, many of you have probably seen the name Westinghouse. It's still used on, on electrical equipment. So Westinghouse believed in Tesla and, and in, in what his transformer would do. And so Westinghouse hired him on, and he said, look, I will pay you X amount a year, but then I will also give you a $1 royalty for every horsepower of motor that we sell. Every horsepower of motor that's out there generating, you'll get $1 on, which is an incredible amount of money when things start adding up. It doesn't sound like much, but, you know, it's not hard to, after time, when you spread out through the United States, it's not hard to have a million horsepower within, you know, a couple states' distance, right? So it's a, it was, could have been a very lucrative thing. Westinghouse offered this to Tesla, and so Tesla's like, okay, you know, I'll sign on for you, and just appreciated the fact that, that someone actually believed in him. Now, Tesla went on to work with Westinghouse then and started actually creating. He built his transformer and tested it, and it worked. And he started building other things. And Tesla was just a brilliant mind. He was always coming up with something new to work on and something new to try. And he was just a, a wonderful inventor. But he didn't, he, 
he was unlike Edison in that he didn't look for the public limelight. He didn't try to get out there and, and shove it in people's faces. He didn't try to be out there saying, hey, look at me, look at me, right? Edison was busy writing himself into the history books. Yeah, that's right. That's why he's there. He became great friends with Henry Ford, who also kind of somewhat did the same thing. And they wrote themselves into the history books by making the right connections and by finding the right people. They made themselves important in history. And that's the reason that most of your school books now spend a lot of time talking about Thomas Edison. And sometimes some school books spend no time talking about Nikola Tesla. It's fascinating to me. So this began... As, as he started creating this, Edison saw that there was a, a bit of a problem in that alternating current had a lot of potential. And with Westinghouse backing alternating current, it began to look like there was going to be some impact there. And so this began what was known as the War of the Currents. So in the late 1800s, there was the War of the Currents. And you can Google that, War of the Currents, it's a known thing, right? And Edison, rather than trying to show how D.C. was better, he did like many of our politicians now would do. He started a smear campaign. He said, I'm going to show how bad alternating current is. And so he had this group of guys that, that would go out, and in the neighborhood there where they were at, they, this, people started noticing dogs and cats would go missing. And they would take these dogs and cats, and in a public display, they would shock them with alternating current, and, and kill them. And they were saying, this is unsafe. You cannot use this. Cannot use this on, you know, in your house because it's unsafe. They took a horse and killed it. They took an elephant and killed it with 6,600 volts. And if you don't believe me, it was videoed, and you can still find that video on YouTube. I would advise you not to watch it. It is terrifying. Now, in all fairness to Edison, the, the elephant was going to be put down anyway. But, man, what a way to go. <laughs> so, as Edison is busy with his smear campaign against Tesla and Westinghouse, Tesla and Westinghouse, you would think, would retaliate much like, like politicians do now. They start their own smear campaign back. Because guess what? If you fry a dog or a cat or a horse or an elephant with 6,600 DC volts, it will die just as quickly. But they didn't. Instead, Tesla just kept working. He did his thing. He didn't, didn't get out in the limelight. He didn't argue. He didn't fuss. He just did his thing. Now, do you start to see the difference of why I'm using one for pride and one for humility, right? We'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more, but I want to keep telling you a bit more of the story. In the late 1800s, 1890s, um, the early 1890s, there was a world fair every year. And for some years, Edison and Direct Current had powered the world fair. It was this great grand thing because you would, get, you, know, you would have power at the world fair. Well, the war of the currents was really going to be decided by who the public accepted. And a lot of the public's acceptance looked like it would come from this world fair. In 1893, the Chicago World Fair asked Westinghouse and Tesla to power their World Fair with alternating current. And that was the end of the War of Currents. 
At that point, alternating current won, and from there on, alternating current has always been the way the power is sent out to houses. Your houses now are powered by alternating current, and as I mentioned earlier, your devices then are tuned down to direct current, so don't get me wrong, direct current is still heavily in use, but power sent to houses is sent through alternating current, and that was decided basically around 1893 when the Chicago World Fair decided that AC was the way that it wanted to power itself. And, and ever after that, the World Fair was always powered by AC after that. Interestingly enough, that power came from miles away because it could. Direct current, when you had a World Fair, you had a generator sitting there somewhere in the neighborhood to make a lot of noise, right? So what is humility? Anybody? Hey, <laughs> Jordan, we go back, huh? Uh, so <laughs> if those of you that have been at Bible school with me, I'm, I'm afraid that I probably say this about 100 too many times at Bible school because I'm fascinated by this statement. This statement was made by C.S. Lewis, and it says, Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. See, I'm afraid that sometimes... We begin to think that if we can somehow push ourselves down, we can be humble. If we can, if we can think less of ourselves and put ourselves into a hole, that we can be more humble. But it's not that. In fact, sometimes by trying to, to think less of ourselves, we can become prideful in the other extreme, right? We can be prideful in how little we think of ourselves or how we push ourselves down, right? Jesus sets the perfect example for humility. Jesus had the option to live as long as he wanted. Jesus didn't have to die on the cross, right? Yet he willingly died even though he could have chosen to live because he didn't think less of himself. He thought of himself less. He was thinking about us um, and, and all the sinners that could be saved by that action. If you will, flip over to Romans 12 with me. Maybe keep a finger there at James 4, though if you haven't already turned away. Romans 12. I'll just read the first three verses there. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. A couple things that I want to point out here in this passage. First of all, it says that we should present our bodies a living sacrifice. And that's really what I talked about this morning in, in appetites, was sacrificing those appetites, right? We're a living sacrifice. But then it says that we're transformed, and then it finishes by saying, I want everyone not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. I think that's a fascinating statement. Notice what he's saying there. He's not saying that you can't think of yourself highly. He's just saying that you can't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, right? So this, this in itself should be a definition of why you shouldn't put yourself down. Because as, as 
believers of God, as Christians, as followers of God, we have a value that God has given us. And we'll, um, we'll talk more about that tomorrow, actually, when we talk about the subject of identity. Okay? So I want to finish the, the story that I started at the very beginning, the Maranatha story. Right. So there I was in the hallway, and I, had, I was kind of humbled and put in my place. And the next day, we had program practice. And it came time in program practice for me to say my part. And guess who couldn't say their part? I was all in my head at that point. I was all messed up. I couldn't say it right. I got halfway through it and stumbled. I had to pull out my paper. And the principal, who was also the, the director, looked over at me like, what? I mean, we're one day before the program. Couldn't say it. Couldn't say it. Had another practice later on. Couldn't say it again. I was walking up and down the hall, like saying it to myself. I'm like, I gotta get this back in my head. I've gotta say this thing. And I'm sitting there praying. I'm like, God, look, I know this is a silly little saying. It doesn't mean anything to you right now. But please, please, just for for the sake of not dragging people's minds away from from the program and from what you're trying to present, please just give me these words. And I'm praying it. And like the day of, I'm going around and and I try to say it to someone, and it won't work. I'm like, Lord, please, I'm really sorry. I'm, you know, you, you've been there before, right? It's like, maybe if I say I'm sorry for the bad things, it'll turn good, right? I'm really sorry for being proud. And, and I remember just kind of pouring myself out. And, and you might be like, Ron, that's, you would pour yourself out before God for, for a simple little saying. God cares about the things that are important to us. And I realize in the long run it may not seem that important, but at the time, that was a big part of my life. And I poured myself out to God, and I was like, God, please. And, and before the program, the principal, I guess he's probably being nice, but you know, when we were having prayer, he requested prayer for, for me, and, um, and as, as well as everyone else that had special parts. You know, but I, I remember you know, he came to me, and he's like, you, know, you got that down? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. So I had a backup copy you know, in, inside my suit for just in case I could pull it out and read it if I needed to. Program came, and it came time, and I almost don't remember saying it. It's like God just took over, you know? And I remember feeling like God was just right there, and every word just, just came right out. And I tell you that because at that point, my attitude was adjusted. There was no more pride in me. There was no more pride. I wasn't, I wasn't proud about the opportunity or the ability to stand up. I wasn't proud that I had been chosen out of 70 people to say a simple little saying. There was none of that. I was just like, God, just let this be your thing. God cares about the little things to us, and he wants us to give them up to him. God doesn't want us to be proud. So we've talked about what humility is, and I'll talk a little bit more about humility in a bit, but I want to go back to my little examples here. I've told you the story about Edison and Tesla and their little war of the currents. But do you know what else Tesla invented? Probably not, right? Because you don't even know who he is. So allow me to tell you. Marconi is, is held as the inventor of radio. Like when you look up who invented radio, it's Marconi did, right? However, when Marconi invented radio, he used 17 of Tesla's patents patented things without asking. 17. And when Tesla was told that Marconi had sent the first, the first radio transmission transcontinental, you know, from the United States to Europe, the very first one, 
And he was, Tesla was told that he had done that and knew that he used those patents. You know what Tesla's response was? Response was he says, Marconi is a good fellow. Let him continue. Later on, the Supreme Court got on Marconi and actually decided against him because Marconi was trying to protect his own patents and was claiming all of the patents to radio and was trying to keep other people from infringing on his patents. And the Supreme Court says, we'll let you have the patents that are yours, but all these other patents can be decided by their own people. Basically said, you really weren't truly responsible for creating radio. The majority of the patents in radio are actually attributed to Tesla. You ever heard of radar? Yeah, maybe you've gotten pulled over because of radar, right? <laughs> but radar's, radar's also used, you know, in the, in the ocean to ping out, you know, like for ships to see proximity and like subs use it and stuff. So Watt, Robert Watson Watt, is credited for that invention in 1935. However, earlier in World War I, um, Thomas, or sorry, Nikola Tesla presented the idea to the Navy to use to spot ships. Like he's like, we could use radar to spot ships. If you would, you know, if you would let me do some research into it, this would work. And Edison was on the, the board, um, the, the, oh, what's the name of the board? I've got it written down here. The U.S. Navy Development, Research and Development Board. And he, along with the others, turned the idea down. Tesla helped invent and build, design and build, the very first hydroelectric plant ever. Now, if you don't know what a hydroelectric plant is, it uses the power of water to create power. And that plant was at the Niagara Falls. In fact, it's still there today. It's not still operating, but um, it's still there. And, and people have taken tours of it. It's had these giant tubes to take the, uh, harness the water that was going over the, some of the water and shoot it down the side, and it spins a turbine, very, very much the same style turbine that dams still use to this day to create alternating current that could be sent from miles and miles away. That was Tesla. Why is this guy not in our history books? I'll keep going. He also had patents that were used over 50 years later to develop the transistor. Now the transistor is what makes computers possible and cell phones and any device, any thinking device relies on transistors. He had the beginning patents that actually created the, the design of the transistor over 50 years later. Now here's one that I like, but this is just me. How many of you know what resonant frequency is? Not many people, okay. So have you ever been like in a room? This happens sometimes, maybe, well, to the most common place that I noticed is like in a small room or like, like if you ever been like in a bathroom stall, you know, like the metal stalls and like if you hum at a certain tune, you can, the walls almost shake. You notice that? Okay, all right, clearly y'all don't sing in the bathroom. All right, fine, <laughs> bad example. All right, but everything has a resonant frequency, right? So I don't know if you've seen the scientific experiment, but like if you take a glass, like a, a, a glass, and you send the right frequency to it, a high enough pitch, it will shatter it. That's just resonant frequency, because what happens at a resonant frequency, something, the, the molecules inside of it begin to shake. It's like the frequency that it likes, right? And so some, some 
people that are really into music will tune their music to the building they're singing in so that as they're singing music, it's more likely to lock into the building's resonant frequency. And you can feel it in the building. You've been in a church building before this hit resonant frequency. You probably just didn't know it. And you kind of almost, it feels like the whole building's just shaking. Like just, not shaking, but just there's that hum, that vibration, you know? Okay? That's resonant frequency. So Tesla discovered the Earth's resonant frequency. And he wrote it down. And then 50 years later, over 50 years later, when they finally had equipment where they could check the Earth's resonant frequency, they checked and he was right. 50 years earlier. So in his attempt to discover the resonant frequency, he created a machine, a small machine apparently from, from records that, that would shoot power down into the Earth and, and it became known as the earthquake machine. Because he did it there near New York City, and it actually created an earthquake in New York City. And so they had him shut it down and destroy the machine. So he had to destroy that, which is probably why it took 50 years later for them to actually check it out, to find a safe way to check it out. Now, maybe another reason that we don't know a lot about Tesla is that as he got older, he got completely crazy. Completely, like he went totally mental. He died, basically broke, and, and he kept chickens in, I mean, not chickens, he kept uh, pigeons in his apartment. And he, had, he named them all. <laughs> in his apartment. Like, they, they kept kicking him out of apartments because he would keep pigeons in his apartment. And so he'd keep the windows open and bring the pigeons in and, eat it, and feed them and everything. And so, yeah, I mean, he was completely crazy. But as he got older, he went out to Colorado Springs and he had a lab in Colorado Springs. And out there, he was doing some insane things with alternating current, incredibly high voltages. He would shoot lightning for over 130 feet, and the thunder could be heard 15 miles away. He charged the earth. He was using basically the earth as his, as his charge point, because you can actually charge the earth up. He charged it with more power than it could get from a lightning storm, from lightning strikes hitting it. He had charged the whole earth up, and that's how he would shoot this power out. Because basically it was just supercharged, just waiting to shoot out power at something. And so he would, he would put up something that he could shoot power to and, and thunder 15 miles away. Additionally, he created remote control. He had the very first remote control boat ever built that he actually showed and, and showed his operation and he pitched that idea to the Navy too and they also didn't like that. They said, where's well, the practicality of having a remote control boat? <laughs> yeah, it's funny, we're flying drones now, right? It's kind of the same thing except in the air. Um, he's responsible for most of the patents that go into neon lighting and he also is responsible for the modern electric motor um, where he worked with, with DC to actually create. Remember I told you that he fixed the electric motor for Thomas Edison? Yeah, that design is still in place in motors now. So that's, that's Tesla. Now, I want to ask you something. As we look at this story, what does being humble benefit us? I mean, really, wouldn't it be so much better if Tesla would be in all the history books? And if we all knew about Tesla, and like Thomas Edison would just be mentioned because he did like a funny little light bulb or whatever. What does being humble benefit us? 
As a Christian, this is the beauty. It benefits us eternally. And that's really what counts, right? Luke 14, 11 says, Whosoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is not talking about being exalted here on earth. This is talking about eternal reward. I want to ask you just a simple question. I want you to think about something with me. Well, actually, it, at the end of our James chapter, the James passage that we read earlier there in verse 10 of chapter 4, it says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Okay? Once again, not specifically here on earth. You can't count on that lift up here. Right? Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. How do you think it makes Thomas Edison feel today, right now, this very minute? How do you think it makes Thomas Edison feel that he has got all the glory and is just in all the history books? What do you think it does for him? Think he's just so delighted and tickled, right? He's in eternity now. I mean, he's, he's dead. And, and as far as we know, he's not in a good place. How about Nikola Tesla? How, do you, how upset do you think it makes him feel now to know that he's just not in the history books and really not a lot of people know about all the great things that he created? Right now, how do you think it makes him feel? See, pride only gives us earthly gain. And what's earthly gain in comparison to eternity? If we're only earthly-minded, then we worry about pride, and we live in pride. However, if we wish to be heavenly-minded, we should not think less of ourselves, but think of ourselves less. This means put the attention on God and on other people. God and other people. That's where your attention should be. Can we program our minds here on earth to see that glory and fame here mean nothing, in eternity. Because that's, that's what it, really what it comes down to. Glory and fame and all the paths on the back and all the good words don't really give you anything in eternity. I heard a joke once that said, what's the difference between humans and God? The difference is that God doesn't always go around thinking he's human. You see, sometimes we start thinking that we're God, right? And that's what pride does to us. We go around thinking that we're God. I'm grand. I'm great. I can do everything. That's what pride wants to do to us. And it will ruin us. Our pride puts us in a position of God in our lives. Yet, as children of God, we must remember that we have value. God gives us value, and we'll talk, well, like I said before, we'll talk about that a little bit more tomorrow. That's why humility is not thinking less of yourself, because God does give us value. He doesn't want us to think so lowly of ourselves that we push ourselves down into a hole of worthlessness. God does not want us to feel worthless. Plus, and obviously most importantly, God wants us to be humble. He desires us to be humble. We read in the, in the end of the passage before that God resisteth the proud but giveth grace to the humble. And Matthew 23, 11 says, But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. So let's do a quick recap, if you will, with me. What lessons can we learn from Nikola Tesla? 
Well, first of all, he wasn't, yeah, he was fully dedicated to his work, and he didn't let his circumstances keep him from his work. He didn't let the, the smear campaign going around him keep him from doing what was important. We should be the same. We should be fully dedicated to our work in God's kingdom. And the circumstances around us shouldn't impact that. He didn't work so that he could show off to others. His concern wasn't being able to show off. He did the work so that he could accomplish his goal. And he didn't care about the credit or the praise. He cared about the work. Didn't care about the credit or the praise. He cared about the work. In closing, I like to look at this axe. What if this axe could talk? Imagine that this axe could talk to you. Maybe it would say, man, you wouldn't believe all the trees that I've chopped down. You would not believe all the brush that I've cleared. You just can't imagine the things that I have done. Look at this axe. Does it look like it's chopping much stuff down? I mean, that handle's basically broken. The blade's rusty. It's clearly not sharp. Not at all. Like, I could probably bounce it off my neck a couple times. I won't, but I probably could. <laughs> right? It's, so, what is this axe all by itself? Did this axe chop down all those trees in the brush by itself? Uh-uh. No, it needed a woodcutter. It needed someone that took care of this axe. It needed someone that sharpened this axe. And ultimately, it needed someone to hold it in its hands and swing it at the tree. See, we're axes in God's kingdom. All by yourself? Eh. You can't say, look at all the things that I did. You can't say, look at all the great works that I've done. Because without being in the hands of the Almighty God, you can do nothing. And to be in the hands of the Almighty God, we must humble ourselves before him. 